Welcome back to Author Conversations, presented by Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. I'm Johnny Foster. Today we will continue our look into the paranormal. I am joined by author Lynn Bonvier. Lynn is the author of Maul Dyer and other witch tales of Southern Maryland. If you do not know the story of Maul Dyer, the curse, and what can happen if you touch the rock Maul Dyer died on, buckle up. Things are about to get historical and strange. Lynn, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Now, I, I know you don't want to give away the whole book, but the whole book isn't exactly about the well-known legend of Maul Dyer. But for the people who don't know that legend, could you give us a small synopsis? Uh, sure. Um, she was uh, renowned to be a witch that resided in St. Mary's County in the late 1600s. And she had lived here for quite a while and evidently had practiced her her witchcraft uh, successfully for the her residents and the neighbors that lived near her. And um, in the winter of 1697, the fall and winter, there was uh, catastrophes ha- happened in St. Mary's County. Um, the crops failed. Uh, a lot of farm animals died and it it was became a very difficult winter. It was very cold. It was colder than it had ever been in, since these people had lived here. And so they um, are almost positive an influenza outbreak occurred. And the people who lived near uh, Mall Dyer uh, were looking for someone to blame for all this bad luck that was happening to them. And, of course, the local witch was the most likely candidate to make these things happen because they had control over the weather. So they blamed her for everything that was happening to them. Uh, and they wanted, they wanted her to go away. And they didn't want to uh, go through the trials and the legal um, steps that were necessary to bring a, charges against her. They just wanted her to go away. So on the coldest night of the year, the citizens who lived around her got together and went and burned down her hut. And she fled in the night, you know, with the hut burning down. And they thought that they were successful, that they had driven her away. But a couple days later, her body was found frozen to a huge boulder in the woods. And uh, a young man looking for animals found the body, and they went and took took her down and and buried her. But her arm was stretched toward the heavens. She was kneeling on this rock. And when they removed her body, the indentations of where her knees and hand had been remained in the rock. And the people who uh, removed her said that her arm was stretched toward the heavens as if she was cursing the people who had done this to her. So they buried her, and the rock remained in the woods forever, but the people who told the story of what had occurred uh, referred to the curse. And one of the reasons they felt that the curse was in effect and that she had done this was because things didn't get very, very much better. The winter didn't stop just because she she died, and they still had disease and sickness, and, and they attributed that to her. And because of the curse, they said that 
thing, anything that happened bad after that was because of Mal Dyer. And that legend uh, survived, has survived in this county for 320 years. So that's the legend of Mal Dyer. Now, the rock, which supposedly was found in the woods in 1975, was removed from the woods, and it now resides in the, in the middle of the town of Leonardtown. And there's a little sign that says Mal Dyer's Rock. But the indentations of her hands and her knees uh, are still there, supposedly. And it's supposed to be cursed. So if you touch the rock or, you know, mess around with it, um, bad things happen to you. You know, you get injured or uh, sick or things like that. So that's the legend. Lynn, have you, in fact, touched the rock? Yes, I did. And uh, will I do it again? No. Um, I I had some very uh, upsetting results after I touched the rock, and uh, my lungs started bleeding. And I have lung disease, and that's not an unusual situation to happen, but it was a huge amount of blood. Mm -hmm. And it it went on for quite a while, and it was very um, scary and unnerving. And my husband was with me when it happened, and he looked at me and he said, you know, you just touched that rock. <laughs> and uh, so uh, was it because I touched the rock? I can't say that for sure, but would I touch the rock again? No. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll, leave that, I'll leave that to others. <laughs> I have people I know who say they're not superstitious, but they're not going to take any chances. That's right. Why, you know, why yeah. push the envelope there? But the neat thing about history, and it's something I said in a podcast I recorded right before this one, actually, and I've said it before, and I guess I'm going to keep saying it, is that local legends and ghost stories and things of that nature often are the best way to learn about an area that you're, you know, you live in or are interested in visiting or learn even more deeper history that can be proven. And I think the way that you came about writing this book proves that case because you didn't start with Maul Dyer. Dyer. She, that's not the reason why you really started researching. You were working on another piece of research. Uh, yes, I'm, I was a docent at, uh, at uh, the Dr. Mudd house and at the Surratt house, so I was very interested in history. But I volunteered to help with a um, project at the Dr. Mudd Muse- um, Library to catalog a bunch of the Mudd family documents that were had never been cataloged before. So in order to do that, I had to read them. And uh, in reading, of course, I knew all about Dr. Mudd, and in uh, giving tours at the house, I knew the history. But I never really fully understood the extent to which the family had gone to try and exonerate his reputation, and his good name. Uh, His grandson literally spent his entire life trying to get Dr. Mudd pardoned and exonerated. Yeah, what was that saying? Because he's the one who helped John Wilkes Booth because he was a doctor, not because he was a sympathizer. But wasn't the saying something along the lines of your name won't be Mudd, and that meant your name's worth nothing, basically, and that came from him? Yes. And uh, his grandson spent his entire life trying to uh, clear his reputation, basically. 
and in giving the tours uh, and reading all these documents, and I became aware of that effort, um, and in giving the tours, I knew that Dr. Mudd's wife, uh, her name was Sarah Frances Dyer, and it, I have a very warped sense of humor. I thought, well, wouldn't this family just love to have a witch in the, in the family? Yeah, that's going to help. She was, yeah, if she was to be related to Maul Dyer. So that's how it all started. I'd had a, I was just curious. I wanted to find out if Maul Dyer was related to Sarah Frances Dyer Mudd. And uh, from there, the project took me over. <laughs> And uh, a research after re- when I went to the historical society down here to find out about uh, Maul Dyer and who she was and her uh, family tree and who she was related to, I went in and I asked. I said, "I'd like to know all about Maul Dyer." And they looked at me with this sort of blank look on their face, like, "Are you kidding?" They said, "We didn't even know if she existed." So I went, "Oh boy!" So I guess that's the first question was to find out if she really existed. And then <clears throat> I took all the people who claimed to be related to her, and I did all their family trees and to see if I could find someone who fit the bill. And uh, that's what I did. It, it took me probably six months' worth of research just to answer that question. And... Uh, and I thought that I found her. <laughs> yeah, and I think if people read the book, they'll believe you found her too. Because it is in depth. It's not just a. I mean, there's you know, you present a really, I think, a solid case for this being, nope. you know, Maul Dyer. Well, thank you. When when I was done with it, and I came up with a result, uh, was about the time that the Weather Channel came down here and did a special, did a documentary about the Maul Dyer legend. And they wanted to read my research. So in order to give it to them, I had to clean it up really fast. And I was very nervous about doing it because I didn't feel like I was ready to put it out there because, I, you know, I didn't want to stick it out there and have it get shot down mm-hmm. and, because there are lots of genealogists around, and uh, especially down here in, in the county. And so uh, I I had to do that, and I did it really quickly, and I gave it to them. And then after that, they did their, their documentary. Uh, I, I went ahead and wrote the article for the Historical Society down here for them to put in their, the, uh, Mary, the Chronicles of St. Mary's. And that was sort of the first step to put it out there to see what the reaction was to it, because all these families down here are related and I thought, well, we'll see what happens. And uh, I didn't get any challenges from that. So then I put it in the Dr. Mudd newsletter. So here's here's the relationship that I was trying to prove. And uh, I thought, well, here we go. And they're not going to like this. And so, and sure enough, I got a, a couple of people that said, no, no, you're wrong. And and they challenged me, and but I knew where everything was in that library because I had cataloged all these documents, and uh, I was able to find the supporting uh, family history to support what I had said. And I came through that one and uh, was still standing. 
So I even had one man from the Genealogy Society down here when I did the program for them. Uh, we had a, another man come after that who, who was an expert in, in DNA genealogy. And he was challenging me on that. But the DNA specialist says, no, there was no way to prove it or disprove it. So that went away. And then I started, people started asking me to give programs and talk about it and all that kind of stuff. And when I started doing that, then they asked me, you know, was I doing a book? And I said, well, I guess maybe I am. <laughs> and uh, that was six years ago. So it, it has taken me six years to put it all down and get all the information that I wanted to get. And I spent one year just reading about 17th century women. Yeah, no, that is really interesting in the book, too. And I don't, I'm not going to give away her whole story because, wow, it's, it's interesting. We'll just say she had a tough life yes. from beginning to end. Very strong woman. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very strong woman. And she – and you could be – a. a if things are going good, people want to go to somebody they would later call a witch because they knew about herbs and things of that nature, and she learned about that. And But that was kind of common, you, you know, all over, because Maryland's actually a southern state, and all over the south, um, that was common for people to know about that, especially the enslaved Africans who were brought into the country. Oh, yes, and it was even common in Europe. I mean, when you think about it, the domestic, the women in Europe, and all over, one of their primary jobs was to take care of people, the, their children, their neighbors' children, whatever. And when you think about what doctors were at that time, um, they were scary. So before you went to a doctor and having them drill a hole in your head or bleed yeah. you or do all these sort of things, I think I'd be going down the street to the witch, you know, and, and have some herbs. Uh, made for me and some chance said, I, I don't think that I would be looking for the doctor. And a lot of it works. And a lot of it's actually still used still today. Uh, yeah, herbal remedies. holistic medicine. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason it stuck around because it worked all the time. So. Right, right. And it, it was the basis of medicine. So um, today we think of witches, you know, in a different connotation. And after the Salem witch trials and all those things, it, it, it took on a different meaning. But prior to that, it was pretty much, you know, you were doing what you could to take care of yourself, your family, and your neighbors. So, um, And it, it, once you read the book, and I know you've read it, uh, you'll understand why I think that Ma was such a strong person for everything that she went through and taking care of sick people all of her life. You know, when you think today, yeah, and I just I just went and got a flu shot. <laughs> you know? I mean, you think about her, what her kindness was met with is a uh, little infuriating. Not little; it was a lot infuriating, too. Um, yes. So, one neat thing from history, too, and for someone like Maul or anyone else accused of witchcraft, there was a guidebook identifying for how to identify witches called "Country Justice," written by Michael Dalton, and. This book was based off of English law, and I guess it was kind of a, uh, for lack of a better term, put in today's terms, a law book for, you know, how we had the blank book for idiots or whatever, you know, books, kind of like yeah. put into, you know, more layman terms. Um, 
Do you know where the guidelines for Dalton's books for identifying witches came from before being published in Country Justice? Well, it was in English law. I mean, it was when the witch trials and things started in Europe, in England. Mm -hmm. And it was during the, you know, after the, when the Catholic Church was cast out of England and the Protestants took over and the war was going on and all that kind of stuff over in England, the Puritans took over and they were generally persecuting the Catholics. And the Catholic women, with the, the, the rituals with the Catholics and all that, the Catholic women were mainly the ones who were persecuted as witches. So it was in English law that they wrote down uh, all the criteria that you had to have to prove that someone was a witch. So the Puritans wrote these laws that were later in country justice. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. So they, they were... They had a lot to do with it, and they had a lot to do with what happened in Salem, Massachusetts as well. But if you look up the witches that were prosecuted and hanged and burned and all that kind of stuff, it's predominantly Catholic single women. Now, whether they were, you know, single spinsters their entire lives, or whether they were widows or single for some re- you know, for that, those reasons, those were the ones who were usually the ones who were persecuted for witchcraft. And, you know, and we talked a little bit earlier about how herbal, herbal remedies, you know, wouldn't necessarily be witchcraft, but it could cause suspicion of witchcraft. And so this is the case with them all. And do you view her as a scapegoat for issues that were just happening in the community and they just needed a scapegoat? Um, well, that that was the case for her because of the the women, uh, the winter, the climate. I mean, that pretty much, um, and witches were attributed the power over the weather. So, I mean, we know now that <laughs> the weather had the power over everybody else. But at the time, um, witches were one of the the things that they did was affect the weather. And that was one reason why on on ships, if they found that there was a witch on the ship, that was a, you know, very serious situation. Yeah, I was just about to lead you to that with that question. Yeah, so I'm glad you (laughs) talked about that. So, yeah, they they didn't want a witch on a ship because of the weather problems. And crossing the, the ocean to get to America was, you know, a dangerous situation, so... If, if if there was anybody on the ship that was going to affect the the outcome of that journey, it was very serious to have uh, a witch on the ship. And the neat thing about this book too is I feel like it's allowed you to, because you know you're basically you were started out researching the 19th century, but in doing this research, it's allowed you to see what this area of your state was like in the 17th century. Um, in early 18th century. Is there anything else surprising that you learned about that area doing your research? Um, well, I learned a great deal. I, I didn't know. My area of expertise before I started this journey with Maul Dyer was the Civil War, and that mm-hmm. was the reason I was working with uh, the Dr. Mudhouse and the Surratt House. So 
I, I, almost all of it, I learned such a great deal. And what happened right here in St. Mary's County, uh, in for Maryland, was uh, very enlightening to me. Just to know what went on here, and that this was the capital of the colony, and uh, all the all the activity that went on here, and, and also not just the political goings-on in St. Mary's County, but the people. Uh, once I determined what I thought Mal Dyer's circumstances were, then it intrigued me to find out who the people were that were involved with what happened to her. And I, uh, I am a member of DAR, so I, I know my, my genealogy, and I, my family's all from North Carolina, and I came here in 1981, and I had never even known anybody in St. Mary's County. But in doing the research about the people who lived here and, and who they were, where they came from, and what they did, I found that I had a, a relative who had come here in the 1600s, uh, and I was shocked absolutely shocked and uh come to find out uh you have to read the book to find out the details but i'm related to one of the people that had something to do with uh, burning down her hut so i uh i was completely totally shocked that is see the thing about history is it always spider webs somehow. It takes you somewhere you never thought it was going to and then connects to something else and then back to something else. And that's what makes a book like yours uh, so interesting. And it, uh, it makes you want to go do your own research on things that interest you. But fair warning to everybody out there, it is addictive once you start doing this research. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a sickness. <laughs> it, that's a good way to describe yeah. it. Yes, it is a sickness. You want to know more and more, and uh, and there's more and more out there. There's, there's always more to be found. So, so did Maul? Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Did Maul have her? Where was her hut at? Was it on somebody's property or? Well, there's an area here that's called Maul Dyer Road, mm-hmm. and it's it's like almost a single lane road that goes from. Um, Maryland State Route 5, back off into the woods, and it winds around in the woods, and uh, uh, and there's a, a creek that goes along there called Maldire Run. And supposedly her hut was back there off of the road somewhere, and we don't know exactly where, but um, it, it, it's if you go down the road, it, it almost invites you to see her in the woods it's so thick the woods are thick there are houses out there but not many it's uh it ends up in a, as a dirt road and it just dead ends so oh, wow. it's uh it's a really intriguing little area and i live about a mile from there so uh i raised bloodhounds for about 10 years and oh yeah we walked we walked in the woods a lot and uh I was always uh, intrigued with the the legend and uh, walking in the woods and, you know, imagining that maybe she was there somewhere. (laughs) Mm. 
but in Maul's time, when she was still alive, did she own? I mean, I'm sure she didn't own that land, but you do talk she about whose land that, or who did she live on a parcel that somebody owned, or? Well, she came here, I believe, as an indentured servant, and probably when she first came here, she was indentured to some one somebody, and she was given a hut, and she probably worked for that person, probably doing the same thing that she'd done in the other places that she'd been up until that point, uh, domestic service, growing herbs and taking care of sick people and that sort of thing. And once her indenture, she worked off her indenture, she probably was allowed to just stay where she was. Um, There were uh, several land parcels in that area that were owned by different individuals that I discuss in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, So she probably, as long as, you know, she didn't bother anybody or cause any trouble, she was probably just allowed to live out there. Um, it wasn't like, you know, like a subdivision where yeah. there were houses oh, everywhere. <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to get to is that, so she's, you know, she, she is, you know, working for somebody, working with somebody. So it wasn't like she was this person who just lived out in the middle of nowhere that nobody knew or talked to. There were people probably in that town who had relationships with her. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and she, uh, I mean, she was well-known, I think, in the area, you know, probably five miles around her, that that people knew her and came to her for help if they were sick or they needed a potion or whatever. So I think she was well-known. And another part of the story is that there was a young girl who had been her patient or whatever that she had been treating, before the winter all started and everything, and that that this young girl had died. And uh, I I would not think that it would be that unusual for you to have a patient that died, but because of what happened after that, you know, it, it it was told that the that was one of the reasons they thought that she was a witch. And I'm sure as people got more upset, and nervous about her being a witch, they probably didn't treat her very well, and she probably reacted to that with her own, you know, I'll just show them kind of attitude, and it it probably just snowballed, Um, you know, her trying to defend herself and them feeling that she was cursing them and, and, and trying to get revenge on them in some way just because of the weather. Yes, and well... It's a it's an interesting story. It's it tells us a lot about history and the way people viewed things back then. It's a sad story, and it's a story that's worth reading. And uh, I read it in, jeez, it was less than half a day. I read it in. Um, it's it's not a book you want to put down once you start reading it. Oh well, I'm very flattered. Thank you so much. Yeah, <laughs> that makes me feel good. I realize it's, it's a really good book. It's a good, but not just for this time of year, but any if you, especially if you live in that area and you want to learn more about what life was like too, and the social structure uh, at that time. And I'm hoping a lot of the local folks will 
find their relatives in there too and be intrigued by that, maybe get them interested in in genealogy and knowing a little bit more about their families. Yes, and that's always a good thing. That's always a fun thing to do, and you never know what kind of connections you'll find, uh, as you can attest to. Oh, yes, <laughs> definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Well, thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it, right. and I hope a lot of people will enjoy the book. I'm sure they will. Thank you. Remember, you can find our history titles, including our haunted titles, by visiting ArcadiaPublishing.com or by visiting your local bookstore. Join me again next week as we continue our haunted journey through history. 